Good morning. And good morning at home in TV land. You people watching me on HD 75-inch TV in your living room, what a blessed people you are to enjoy that view. All right, uh, children can be dismissed back there with their, their teachers to go out on the playground and uh, have a little lesson time as well. And uh, I, I want to start off with the passage of Scripture and just lean into God's Word. Um, these words are alive and active and they're 3,000 years old. Psalm 42 beginning at verse 1, as the, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night I have only tears for food while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan and from the land of Mount Mazar. Heavenly Father, we humbly come into your presence, Lord. Help us to rest in you, God. Help us to know, God, that wherever we are, that you're there with us, God, um, that you never forsake us, that you, you never fail us. And, and God, I pray today, Lord, for anyone who is in this room or listening today or another day, Lord, that they would lean into your truth. And if they're down and discouraged, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just move in a powerful way. God, help us to drop any pretense we have before you and just lay ourselves wide open, Lord, so that you can heal us and that you can, you can teach us. Lord, help me to share this message in a way that brings you honor and glory and helps the people that you love. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we're in this series uh, called Such Things Were Written, our, our theme verse is Such Things Were Written in the Scriptures Long Ago, talking about all the Old Testament, uh, to teach us and to give us hope and encouragement. Could you use some of that as we patiently wait for God's promises? And, and here's the deal, since July the 19th, we have been taught, we've been warned, and we've been given hope and encouragement uh, from the story of Naomi and Ruth, from the story of David and Goliath, from the life of Jeremiah, uh, from a surprising warrior named Gideon, from two periods in Israel's history, the wilderness period and the conquest period, from the life of Solomon, from four chapters in the life of David uh, that taught us that God can use anyone, that his power can do anything, and that his timing is any time, and that his grace can be found anywhere and last week we looked at that time when the nation of Israel suffered a, a major breakup, a very ugly divorce, north and south. And among other things, what we learned is that we can help heal division and disunity and maybe even prevent it by doing several things. By praying for unity, by drawing closer to God, by putting on the humble, servant-hearted, other people-first attitude of Christ, by seeking godly counsel. By making wise decisions, like before we say something or do something, we ask ourselves, is what I'm about to say or what I'm about to do, 
Is it going to help the cause of unity or hurt the cause of unity? And then by always remembering our ultimate purpose, which is to reflect and present God's glory in person to the lost world. Some great teachings. I'm glad, I'm glad they wrote that stuff down. <laughs> Thank you, God and Holy Spirit and those who wrote. And this morning, we're going to unpack a conversation called, What Are You Doing Here? It's a conversation on depression, how we fall into it, and how we can climb out of it. Uh, question, have you ever been in a season of life where it just seems like everything is going wrong? A season where if the phone rings or an email comes, you don't want to answer the phone and you don't want to look at that email because you're certain that it's only going to be more bad news. And you already have enough of that weighing you down. A season where you're not even sure that you want to get out of bed, where you're just weighed down with worry and with fear. Uh, wondering what's next. We're waiting for the next shoe to drop. And you're just exhausted from anxiety and stress. A season where it doesn't matter what you do, you're always tired. And you wonder if things are ever going to turn around or they're ever going to be any different in your life. I mean, it's like Satan, the thief, your enemy, is attacking you every day from every front, leaving you fatigued, withdrawn, pessimistic, hopeless, passive, preoccupied with yourself, unable to concentrate, and where self-deprecation has become the name of your game. Have you ever been there? Are you there now? I understand difficult, unwanted, and unexpected circumstances happen. They're just part of life on this planet. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, and he wasn't lying. And so I'm not talking about the kind of discouragement that pretty much comes and goes. You know, it comes when something bad happens, but at least pretty quickly when something good happens. Instead, I'm talking about deep discouragement. I'm talking about the kind of discouragement that just kind of hangs around. It's like this dark cloud of despair that has set up camp in your heart and in your mind, making you feel like nothing's ever going to turn around or ever get better. What are you doing here? And listen, right out of the gates, I want to make two things perfectly clear. Number one, it is not a sin to be depressed. And number two, that struggling with depression does not make you a weak Christian or a bad person. Get it? Good. In fact, there have been many influential people throughout history who have struggled with depression. Charles Dickens, Winston Churchill, Martin Luther, the reformer, Charles Spurgeon, Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton's college Notebooks were filled with descriptions of personal anxiety, suicidal thoughts, low self-esteem, and bouts of fear. Abraham Lincoln struggled with it. They don't talk about it much, but he pretty much struggled with clinical depression his entire life. And his, his law partner, William Herndon, said of Lincoln, his melancholy, his melancholy, his melancholy, that doesn't sound right, melancholy, his melancholy, melancholy, he had melons that were collie. All right. I are a communicator. Those watching online, it is what it is. Okay. His sadness and depression, right? It dripped from him as he walked. Many well known people today struggle with depression. 
Dwayne Johnson, Katy Perry, Jim Carrey, J.K. Rowling, Michael, Michael Phelps, Robin Williams. Then you have people in Scripture that, that battled it, right? Moses, King David, why am I so downcast? Why am, am I discouraged? Jeremiah, Job, the Apostle Paul, he, he once said, I, I was overwhelmed by all that was going on in my life that I despaired even of life. And then, of course, we have the guy we're going to drill down on the day, the prophet Elijah. Let me, let me repeat that struggling with depression does not mean that you're a weak Christian, a bad person, and it does not mean that God cannot use you. However, depression is unfortunately very common today. Here's a, I mean, you can find, you can look all kinds of stats on your own. Here's a little pretty chart there if you can't read, right? Awesome. I like the colors, though. I make a good coffee cup color, black and blue. I like it. All right. You know, but uh, 18 plus million people in our country, you know, are, are diagnosed with depression. And how, how many go undiagnosed, right? Um, two-thirds of all suicides, right? Two-thirds of all suicides are because of depression. And, and I read this week, some stats say that less than half of the people who battle depression ever try to get any, any kind of help. And I think as believers and as Christians, we, we need to call out the stigma that's attached to mental health, right? We need to call it out and call it out hard. I mean, if, it's, if there's nothing wrong with you going to see a medical doctor when you have an injury, right, or you're sick, then it's certainly nothing wrong with a person going to see someone to help them when, they, when their mental health is at risk. Amen? We've got to remove this stigma. There's, there's nothing wrong with getting help when you need help. I, I did an informal survey on my, on my poll on my Facebook. There's a simple yes or no poll. It said, yes, I've occasionally struggled with bouts of depression, and no, depression has never been an issue for me. And the, re- the results were 87% of the people surveyed, and the survey says, right, 87%. People from all across the country, male and female, people even in other countries that I know, right? 87% said, yeah, yes. And 13% said, no, it's never been an issue for me at all. A few more quick things before we dive into Elijah's story. What are you doing here about depression? Number one, there are certain personality types that are more prone to depression than others. So the fact that you either struggle with or don't struggle with depression sometimes has more to do with your personality trait than it has to do with your faith or lack thereof. Uh, number two, you know, I realize the limit of a Sunday morning 75-minute conversation. <laughs> no one caught that, right? I, I realize the limit of me up here on a Sunday morning, hey, listen to me for 30, 40 minutes, and I'm going to solve all the issues with depression ever, Right? I know I'm limited, right? I mean, people go to counseling for years and years, right? However, I I do want to acknowledge the power of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to do something significant, even in this place and even among those listening online. Because I know 87%, a lot of people battle depression. Number three, I, I know that depression sometimes can be caused by chemical imbalances within the body that require medication. So let me be very clear. Uh, this one, I'm not talking about medical causes of depression because I'm not a doctor, right? So I'm not telling you to go home and to throw away 
your medicine, right? Because just as you take medicine for your physical body, sometimes you need medicine for your mental health. So here's the deal. This morning, October the 4th, 2020, I want to talk about the kind of depression that comes when circumstances come to your life like that dark cloud of despair and it just kind of hangs there and it doesn't go away. Sometimes this is referred to as situational depression. Okay, let's do this. What are you doing here? A conversation about depression. Our text is 1 Kings chapter 19. Such things were written long ago to teach us and to give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises. And uh, by the way, this event takes place about 60 years after that ugly breakup that happened. We read, when Ahab, and he's the seventh king of the northern kingdom, and he's not a good guy. He's very evil. In fact, God says Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any before him. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel, now Jezebel is his wife, and she is even more evil than Ahab. I mean, you, you can look up in the dictionary like I did, and she even has a definition for her name. A, a wicked, shameless, morally unrestrained woman, Right? Those of you who have daughters, were you ever tempted to name your daughter Jezebel? Would, guys, would you ever date a woman named Jezebel? I don't think so, right? So I'm talking, she is one nasty lady. Well, not even a lady. I won't even say anything more. Because uh, I could get in trouble. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me if even... May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow, 12.15, I've not killed you just as you've killed them. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, 100 miles away, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who've already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. The great prophet Elijah, the, the one who we know for being called up to heaven in a fiery chariot, sitting under a tree in the wilderness, saying, I've had enough, Lord, please take my life. Doesn't sound like him, right? I mean, just three years earlier, in 1 Kings 17, he stood before Ahab and he said, because of your sin and the sin of the nation, it is not going to rain on the land for three years. Here's a man who was sustained by God, by a brook, and God sent ravens to feed him day and night. I mean, he didn't even have the, you know, he didn't, a Grubhub app on his phone, right? But day and night, God sent ravens to feed him. And here's a man who had performed many miracles for the widow of Zarephath, he multiplied her food every day so it didn't run out. He even raised her son from the dead. I mean, you wouldn't think that a guy who, who, who saw God work so powerfully would get depressed, but he did. And you certainly wouldn't expect a guy who just won a huge victory on Mount Carmel, won Elijah, 850 false prophets, uh, proving to God's people that the Lord is the one true God, and he watched all of Israel turn back and repent and follow God. 
You wouldn't expect someone to have that kind of victory to get depressed, but he did. And following that great victory on Mount Carmel, while he's still on, on the mountain, he has a powerful answer to prayer. You see, before he left that mountain, he said the following to Ahab. Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink to celebrate. It's been a three-year drought, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. He went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go until he had. Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the Sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Like God empowered him in the pouring rain to outrun a chariot 18 miles to Jezreel. And you see, I, I think he wanted to get there in time to watch Ahab tell Jezebel about the great victory he had, maybe a kind of in-your-face moment, but maybe like, hey, I just want to be here because if you're ready for some reform programs, I'm your guy and I'm ready to go. You wouldn't expect a guy who had such an answer to prayer, who outrun a chariot to get depressed, but he did. James in James chapter 5 says, Elijah was a man just like us. Yep, he was. And just like us, he got depressed. Such things were written long ago to teach us and give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises. So would you say that we let God's word and his prophet Elijah not only teach us this morning, but give us some hope and courage in regards to depression? The way I, I want to attack this conversation is, is by unpacking two simple statements, falling into depression and climbing out of depression. You know, if Elijah were here today and, and given this message, it'd be a whole lot better for sure. Or if he was sitting across from us in a restaurant, I, I think you would say, hey, if you want to fall into depression like I did 2,800 years ago, here are four things that you can do that are guaranteed to take you into depression. They work every time. And then I think he'd look at us and say, I think maybe you ought to take notes. Number one, if you want to fall into depression, wear yourself out. And that's what Elijah did, like for three years, confronting powerful leaders, living in the desert, hiding in caves, encouraging other prophets, constantly calling on a rebellious people to repent, taking care of a widow and her son, not to mention the physical and emotional drain of a jumping into the octagon with the false prophets on Mount Carmel followed by an 18-mile run to Jezreel, followed by a 100-mile run to Beersheba. No doubt about it, Elijah was totally worn out physically and emotionally. Just wore out. Ever been there? Are you there? There's an old Indian proverb that says, you will break the bow if it is always bent. Uh, so you wonder, well, why, 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 why am I depressed? Answer, because you're wearing yourself plumb out, right? I mean, some of you are moms and you're working a full-time job, taking care of the house, putting dinner on the table, and carting your kids all over the world. 
Uh, some of you are full-time students working a part-time job, trying to have a social life, trying to be involved in church. Here's the bottom line. Some of you are, some of you have been doing way too much for way too long, and you just keep on taking on more and more and more and more. Now understand, no one is exempt from fatigue-induced depression. You know, I, I know that we, we think we can just keep doing and running and going and doing and running and doing more and more and more. And ne- never be exhausted, ne- never be depleted, but we are wrong. Because the truth is that when you are emotionally or physically depleted, when you are running on half a tank or less, you are especially vulnerable to depression and despair. And, and it doesn't take much to get you down, does it? That's why you're so tired. That's why you're so weary. That's why you're so cranky. That's why you're so negative. And that's why you're so frustrated. Everybody else is not doing as much as you are. How do you fall in depression? Do you just wear yourself out? Are you doing that? Maybe some of you are. Second thing you want to fall in depression is shut other people out. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness. He left his servant there and he went on alone into the wilderness. You stay here. I'm going to go into the wilderness, that barren land, alone, by myself. And to be honest, that's what a lot of us do when we start to get overwhelmed and depressed. We shut other people out. I'm not going to let you in. I'm not going to tell you what I'm going through. If I did, you wouldn't understand anyway. So we wall up and we start to push other people away. We think, you know what, I just don't have the energy to to fake it and pretend any longer. And and I don't want them to see me so weak and frail because they don't, they think I'm strong. And I definitely don't want to have to keep answering their question of how are you doing? Should we shut other people out? But understand, when we go on alone into the wilderness, when we isolate ourselves from other people like Elijah did and shut them out, it's a very dangerous thing. You see, when we're alone in the wilderness, we tend to wallow in our misery. And we drive ourselves down deeper and lower than we would have gone if there were some people around us who could have encouraged us, who could have helped us see the situation more clearly, who maybe could have given us some much-needed perspective. And listen up, Maple Grove, shutting other people out. And maybe that's what you do, right? I'll deal with this on my own. I'm going to go all alone into the wilderness. Maybe you're doing it right now. It's not only very dangerous, but it's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. 1 Peter 5, 8, stay alert, watch out for the great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
looking for someone to devour who's gone on alone into the wilderness, right? The line doesn't jump into a crowd of its prey, right? It finds the one who's decided, I'm going to go on alone into the wilderness. So, so you say you want to fall into depression? Wear yourself out. Shut other people out. That'll get you there. And so will having unrealistic expectations of how things will turn out, which leads to a sense of futility. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You know, I'm convinced that after, you know, what happened on, on, on Mount Carmel, that Elijah was convinced that Jezebel would either repent or lose her influence in the kingdom. He just knew that things would be different. However, nothing had changed. The whole victory now seemed meaningless to him. Well, why bother? What's the use? I'm still a fugitive. I have a price in my head. Jezebel's still in charge. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm just spitting my wheels. I've had enough. can't take anymore. I'm better than my ancestors. And what's funny is no one was asking if he was. But see, that's what happens when self-pity takes over. See, self-pity, it exaggerates, doesn't it? I'm never going to be any good. I'm always going to be stuck in this life. My life's never going to get any better. I'm always going to be alone. I'm never going to get into that school. I'm never going to get that promotion. My life life is always going to be this way. Question, you ever felt that way? Like you're not getting anywhere? Like all your efforts are in vain? Like nothing is turning out the way you hoped and expected? Just more and more problems, difficulties, stress, and struggles piled on. You're already heavy load. I mean, you try and try to do what's right, to be a, a good husband, a good wife, a good child, a good mother, a good father, a good worker. You pour out your blood, your sweat, and your tears, and you look at the scoreboard expecting to see that you caught up or maybe even maybe uh, you're a few points ahead, but you look up and you find, no, you're actually are more points behind than before, things haven't changed. The same old problems are still there, and a few other ones have popped up. I understand a sense of futility is almost a certain path to depression. And you know, I have a hunch that Elijah mistakenly expected the spiritual high from his victor, Mount Carmel, to become his emotional norm. Just like many times, right? Now, someone could expect the love, joy, and celebration of the wedding day and honeymoon to be the norm for their marriage, right? Ain't happening, right? You know, don't expect that. That is not the norm, right? I love marriage. Marriage is good, but have realistic expectations, right? See, there's a truth about mountaintop victories, one we'd rather avoid. When you're on a mountaintop, there's only one way to go. Down. For every mountaintop, there's a valley. For every high, there's a corresponding low. I mean, that's why successful people many times are more vulnerable to depression than people are not. They expect the exhilaration of success to be continuous, but it's not. And then when they get down, they get disgusted with themselves. How can I be depressed when I'm so successful? You see, we need to not only understand, but we need to be prepared for the letdown that will always follow a great victory. What goes up 
will come down. Maybe you recognize this guy in the photo here. Anybody know who that guy is? Michael Phelps, most decorated Olympian in history. 28 medals, 23 of which were gold. This is from 2012 Olympics in London where he won four golds and two silver. He looks pretty happy. But you know that a few days later, he's home in his bedroom for three to five days, not wanting to live anymore. He went and got help, and this is when he retired for a while. Right? Yeah, gold medal. Everybody's applauding. If you want to fall in depression, wear yourself out. Shut other people out. Have unrealistic expectations of how things will turn out, that everything will be great, no problems, nothing but a trip to it's a small world in Disney World, right? Step number four, leave God out. That's what Elijah did. Left God out, which is crazy, right? I mean, here's a guy that had seen God do so many crazy things in three years, right? Close up the sky, open up the sky, feed him with ravens, take on... Take on people in Mount Carmel. Empower him to, to run 18 miles and outrun a chariot. Multiply food. Raise the dead. Right? And, and now he's sitting on a, under a broom tree. And because of one woman is out to get him, he thinks, you know what? There's no way God can do anything about this. God can't help out in my current situation. So he left God out. Question, do you tend to leave God out when, you face, when you're faced with rough, trying, and difficult times? For honest, I think we do. We make the same mistake Elijah did. I know I do. I leave God out. Which is crazy, right? Because I, I can look back on how God has moved in my life in the past, how God has been faithful Understand, he was there, he, he provided, he comforted, he was my strength. God was everything that I needed. However, in this moment when I'm depressed, I, I can forget about his faithfulness and just leave him out of the equation. Like he's unable to do anything about the situation that I now find myself in. Do you do that? I remember years ago, maybe 11 years ago, praying in our prayer room at a church in Florida. And my ministry was over there and didn't know what my future held. And I'm in tears praying, looking at this cross and a really good pity party that God wasn't sure he wanted to show up to. And, and I heard him just say, hey, dude, if I was able to pull you through when your wife died of cancer... You don't think I can handle this? And it's just, oh, okay. You got this, God. Right? But when you're depressed, you just, no, God. I'm just going to leave you out. You want to fall in, you know, I, I should write a book, How to Fall in Depression, Four Easy Steps. Wear yourself out. Some of you are doing that. Shut other people out. Some of you are doing that too. Have unrealistic expectation of how things will turn out and leave God out. All right? Let's conclude now. <laughs> that would be kind of depressing. Okay, so how do we climb out of it? Well, there's four things that Elijah did. So things that were written long ago to teach us and to give us hope and encouragement. I mean, this is, the Bible is like an incredible book, right? 
things that he did that will enable us to climb out of depression as well. Set number one, to climb out of depression is to eat and rest. As he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot coals. Man, that must smell good. Don't, don't you love, like, smell of bread cooking? And a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And remember, at this time, Elijah, he didn't have any hope. He's hiding out. He's wanting to die. He's physically and emotionally depleted. So God sends an angel. And did you notice what the angel didn't do? He didn't preach a sermon. (laughs) He didn't rebuke him. He didn't shame him. He doesn't say, come on, Elijah, if he only had more faith, if he only memorized more Bible verses, gone to more Bible studies, quoted the Bible more. He just quit acting like a baby. Can't believe you, bro. You're so weak, so lame, so pitiful. Nothing like that at all. In fact, the very first thing the angel says is, eat and rest. I'm a big fan of food, so I I find that very encouraging. (laughs) And so he ate and drank and then lay down again. Remember, he's depleted. He's worn out. Understand, for some of you, the most spiritual thing you can do is not to go to another meeting, not to put something else on your calendar, not to read another Bible verse, not to go to another Bible study, but instead the most spiritual thing you can do is to eat and rest. I know what you're thinking. But, but I got to do this. And I got to do this, and I got to do that. And I think God would say, you know what? It, it doesn't matter if the clothes are dirty. It doesn't matter if the house is not clean. It doesn't matter if the yard is not mowed. It doesn't matter if a few things are undone. Because the most important spiritual thing you can do right now, I modeled it when I created the world, is for you to rest. So the angel gave him food and lets Elijah take a nap question is God telling you right now to do the same Jesus once had to tell his disciples to do this Mark chapter 6 then because so many people were coming and going they did not even have a chance to eat he said to them right been that way right you're so busy oh my gosh I, I can't believe it's it's time to it's time to go to bed and I haven't even had lunch yet he says come with me by yourselves to a quiet place but but Jesus we got stuff to do. There's people here, right? We got stuff. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Okay, let's read on to uncover the next thing that God does to help Elijah climb out of depression. The angel, the Lord, came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more. Or, and this is so good and so powerful, the journey ahead will be too much for you. If we do not take care of ourselves physically, the journey ahead will be too much for us. Amen? So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him strength enough to travel forward. That's some power food right here, I'm telling you. Well, I don't know what was in this power bar, but I want some. Got up and ate and drank and had enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, which was 260 miles away. And he came to a cave where he spent the night. So if you want to climb out of depression, eat and rest, and the second thing you need to do is to go where God is. That's what Elijah did, right? He went to Mount Sinai where God is. That's the same place that Moses received the Ten Commandments. 
So to climb out of the press, you need to go where God is. And listen, that may mean going to his church. It may mean opening up your Bible. It may mean listening to worship songs, having a quiet time, and going to a quiet place where you meet with him. And beginning in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9, we see what God does for those who go to where he is. But the Lord, now God's here, not an angel. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken down their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And Elijah stood there. The Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. It literally means, some people think, a loud sound of silence. (laughs) When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face, because now, okay, God is here. And his cloak went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I've zealously served the Lord Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Okay, here's what God does when you go to where he is. Number one, he reminds you of his presence. Notice he says, what are you doing here? Not what are you doing there, right? What are you doing here? means, Elijah, I'm not some distant God pointing to you over there. But I'm right here with you. I'm present with you. I'm here with you. I'm an ever-present help in times of trouble. Next, God. Go to where God is. He will listen to your troubled heart, right? Elijah just pours out his heart to God, right? Just gun loads. And what does God do? God listens. He doesn't interrupt. Yeah. He, he, he doesn't even at that point try to correct some of the misstatements because you know what God knows? God knows that depressed people are fragile and they need to be listened to more than they need advice. Depressed people are fragile and they need to be listened to more than they need advice. You see, it doesn't help to slap them on the back and say, come on, snap out of it. Things are not that bad. Look at all the good things you have. They don't, sometimes they just need somebody to listen, and God just listens. And when we verbalize things, it helps us to get back on track again. And let me just say this, that God is still here, and God still loves when his children pour out their heart to him. And I can not, you, you know, right? I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've done that verbally, journaling, in tears. You know, this past Tuesday was one of those times. And, you know, just pouring out my heart to God. You know, and he just listens. Now, later on, he's going to do other things, but at first he just listens, right? Another thing, when you go to where God is, he will reset your focus. Because where was where was Elijah's focus at this time? It, it, it was on his problems. It was on this one woman who wanted to kill him. 
And, and when we're depressed, right, we, we tend to focus on our problems, right? We tend to focus on ourselves. And what we need to focus on is on God, right? Hey, you're looking down here. You need to look here. And, and, and see, Elijah needed to be reminded of that. See, what he needed to do was to, was to look up again and, and be reminded of the awesomeness of God and to be drawn closer by the still small voice of God. And next, when you go to where God is, he will replace the lies you have believed with his truth. It, you see, depressed people, and, and, and maybe why I can speak to this so well, yo, yo, I'm in the 87%, right? I could answer that twice, right? Sometimes I think my, my melons and my collie, right? We talked about it early. <laughs> You know, I think sometimes, maybe you can't see it, but sometimes I feel like it's just dripping off of me, right? So I, I get this. I understand this topic. And, and, and see, many times depressed people believe lies. Elijah believes some lies, right? You know, he says, hey, I'm the only one left. Not true. Not true. A little later, God's going to say, hey, I got 7,000 people that are still charging hard for God. Not true, Elijah. And, and he's also going to say, you know, the Israelites are trying to kill me, right? He didn't say Jezebel. Hey, Israelites have torn down the altars, and now they are trying. No, they're not trying to kill you. Matter of fact, they all turned back to God because of you, and they all have bought these T-shirts, bring on the fire Elijah T-shirts that are selling like crazy on Amazon, right? Right, so he had believed some lies. What lie are you believing that's keeping you depressed? This relationship can never be healed. It will always be this way. I will never be good enough. I will always be a failure. I will never overcome that hurt, that hang up, or that failure. Things will never turn around. I will never do anything that really matters. Oh, really? Really? With God, all things are possible. Replace the lies you believe with the truth of God. Where are you now? Where are you? Like, some of you would speak verbally. You might just speak a lie. I'm always going to be depressed. It's always just going to be me alone against this. And God might say, well, actually, that's not the whole truth. There's 7,000. There are people who care about you. There are brothers and sisters who will surround you. There's a Holy Spirit who will comfort you. Don't believe the lies. Replace the lies with the truth. Eat and rest, go to where God is, and go back the way you came. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus, Syria, where you get, when you get there, anoint Haziel, king of Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of, over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shabbat, from Abel, Maholah, to succeed you as prophet. In other words, Elijah, go back to doing what prophets do. Go back to doing what you were doing. Go back to being who you were being. And I think God would say to many of us the same thing. Go back the way you came. Go back to doing what you were doing. Go back to being who you were being. Yeah, I, I know you feel down. You feel blue. You feel hopeless, you feel afraid, you feel unsure, you've lost your confidence, and you don't see it, 
But God sees it, and God says, if you're still alive, that, that he's not done. That if you're still here, it's because there's something that God wants you to do. Go back the way you came. Go back to doing what prophets do. You say, well, I'm not a prophet. Well, what are you? You're a mom. Go back to doing what moms do. Are you a business person? Go back to doing what business people do. Are you a person of prayer? Go back to doing what a person of prayer does. Do you have the gift of serving? Go back to serving people. Do you have the gift of giving? Go back to giving to people. Do what you were doing. Be who you were being. Are you... You know, are you an obedient follower of Jesus Christ? Then go back to being an obedient follower of Christ. I'll tell you one thing. The darkness will never lift if we're living in disobedience. Amen? It just won't. Go back and do what God has called you to do. If he's not done, he's got another mission for you. During a lecture on mental health, someone once asked famous Dr. Carl Menninger, What would you advise a person to do if that person felt a nervous breakdown coming on? Most people in the conference thought that he would say, go see a psychiatrist immediately, but he didn't. Much to everyone's astonishment, Dr. Menninger replied, I would tell them, lock up your house, go across the railroad tracks, find someone in need, and help that person. To overcome discouragement, he said, don't focus on yourself, get involved in the lives of other people. Go back the way he came. And the fourth thing, and we're about done. The climb out of depression is stay no longer alone. Stay no longer alone. See, the first thing he did after God told him what he needed to do, very next verse, Elijah went from there and found Elisha. Son of Shabbat. And then he was no longer alone in the wilderness. Alone equals not good. Alone equals fertile soil for depression. Get it? Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity someone who falls and has no one to help them up. Wow. Is that you? I'm just saying, if you feel alone, hey, there's a church here, there's leaders here, you're listening online, you're not alone. That connection card, man, you can fill that out and say, hey, look, hey, would you pray with me? Because you know what? I fell down and there was no one to help me back up. If two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? The one may overpower, two can be defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Such things were written long ago to teach us and to give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for the promises of God. How to fall into temptation, um, depression, wear yourself out, shut other people out, have unrealistic expectations of how things will turn out, and leave God out. How to climb out of it, eat and rest, go to where God is, go back the way you came, and stay no longer alone. And this is totally dumb, but if you know me, you, if, what are the first letters there spell? Eggs. Because 
as I said before, you know. Ooh, I have to get that up. Depressed people are fragile, right? They're fragile. And this is dumb. I get it. All right? I, I, I get it. But aches. <laughs> aches. You're depressed, discouraged. Aches. Aches. Eat and rest. Go to where God is. Go back to where you came and stay no longer alone. If this can help you and help me remember this, then I'm okay that I got nasty egg on me, right? You know, I'm okay with that. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord, just to come into your presence. God, help each of us right now to be honest with you. If we need to rest, help us to be obedient and see it as an act of disobedience if we don't. God, Help us to see and understand the lies that we have believed that are causing us to be depressed. And I just ask that as we're praying in this room and at home, if, if you just feel you need God's presence to help you out of depression, just lift your hand. No one's going to see it. And God, I, I pray for those who have shut people out, God, that you would bring the right people in. You give them the courage, the courage to invite them to come in, God. And God, I pray that we just won't leave you out, God. You always want to help us. You always can help us. You long to help us, God. God, help us to know that we're never alone, that you're already here. You're here all the time, right in the middle of where we are. And God, like those men in Daniel and the song we're about to sing about, you know, there's a we always know there's another person in the fire, and that's you. And so, God, right now, Holy Spirit, I just pray for the people listening to my voice right now in this room or online or whatever that are depressed, that there's a way out, and that you can help them out. Eggs, in Jesus' name, amen.